Good morning. I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And I will meet you there in just one moment. At some point in the early 1900s, a man named Thomas Obadiah Chisholm wrote the song, Be With Me, Lord. He was a native of Franklin, Kentucky. And this song is very familiar to many of us. Many of us grew up singing the songs all of our lives. And when we sing this song, we are confirming the petition in which the writer wrote this song. And it reads as a prayer, a most earnest plea for God to be with us now, here, not just in the world's unknown, but for God to be present with us today. And the reason given and the reason suggested and portrayed in this song seems to be rather simple, and that's because life is hard. And that's not news to many of us here today. Life carries with it pain, loneliness, the storms of life that continually arise, just like we sang about. But yet, with God present with us, Life is tolerable. And without God with us, life is not bearable. We cannot bear the loads of this life unaided. And it's the third verse of this song that has piqued my interest in meditation in these past few weeks. And the, third, the third verse reads, Be with me, Lord, no other gift or blessing thou couldst bestow can with this one compare. A constant sense of thy abiding presence where'er I am to feel that thou art near. If I were to ask you this morning, do you feel close to God? What would you say? If someone were to ask you in the world, well, how do you know that God is with you and that you feel that God is with you? What, what do you say to those people? How do you articulate this feeling that we all have or that we should have? And that's a serious question to contemplate. And I think... First, in order for us to try and more clearly define what that actually means, let's first consider and appreciate what living a life with a constant sense of God's presence is not, and appreciate what was lost in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 8, the Bible says, and they heard, that is audibly, they heard the sound of the Lord God 
walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Can you imagine this original picture of what it meant to live in the presence of God? Physically, really, to see God in however way or another he manifested himself. Obviously, it was in human form. He was walking in the garden. He was speaking to Adam and Eve. He was walking in the cool of the day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the perhaps ease of believing in God if you were to see Him and be able to converse with Him? You know, Adam and Eve never had to question the existence of God. They knew He was alive. That seems to be a big question in our world today as well. You know, is God really there? Is there a God? But Adam never had to question that. He knew that God was there. Adam and Eve originally were living in paradise. And what made Eden the ultimate paradise was that God was there. And the closeness, the intimacy that they enjoyed and that they experienced is what made Eden the ultimate paradise. However, Adam and Eve sinned. And instead of trying to hide from God's presence, God drove them out from His presence. And so they lost this intimate relationship that they had with God. The closeness that they once experienced was changed forevermore. And so it is with us today. We today are not living in the Garden of Eden. And I don't think that's news to anyone here either. And to the contrary, we are reaping the consequences that the introduction of sin helped to produce and created this world that is marred by sin. And even though you and I were not in the garden, you and I didn't eat that fruit that day, there is a reason that the punishment that God delivered to Adam and Eve was accrued to us. And that is because we are descendants of Adam and Eve. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5. And it wasn't some sort of original sin or inherited depravity or anything like that. It's a lot more simple than that, actually. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. It was sin that separated man from the presence of God originally. 
And it's sin today, our sin, that separates us from God's presence now. And so we need to understand these things because there's a lot of confusion about what it means to live in the presence of God. We can no longer visibly see God. We've talked about that. People today see clouds and the shape of a face or you name it. But sadly, that's just not the way this works. And we need to understand that. And we need to understand that because we can't see God visibly walking around us in our lives, it forces us to walk by faith. And our belief in God is because of our faith in what is unseen. Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We haven't seen God visibly. And so in a sense, we have to live our lives with a greater degree of faith than Adam and Eve did. And that's hard. That's frustrating. We have to understand that we can't converse with God anymore like Adam and Eve did in his presence originally. Not only can we not see God with our eyes, but we can't ask God a question and he respond today. That's not how this works anymore. We lost that in the garden. Have you ever heard anybody say, you know, when you're praying, do you ever feel like you're just talking to yourself? How do you know God is there? If God would just speak to me, I, 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 boy, I tell you what. But that kind of attitude is wanting it to be like what it was like back in the Garden of Eden. But guess what? We lost that. And we lost that because of our sin. And so, we walk by faith. But yet we're encouraged to still speak to God. Paul said in Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. All through Scripture, we're encouraged to continue to speak to God. But it's not like it was originally in His presence. And it's not that God doesn't speak to us anymore either. He didn't just kick us out of the garden and never speak to us again. But it's different. Beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, the writer says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God still speaks to us today in a very real way, but it is through His Word. It's through the Bible. Scripture, which 2 Timothy 3 says is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, and so God has given us all that we need, apparently, to be complete and equipped for all that He would have us to work to do. But that takes a lot of trust. It takes confidence that God has given us all that we need to know. Sometimes we may wonder if He's given us all we need to know. But God said through Moses in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do the words of this law. 
But reading the Bible is harder, maybe, than just speaking to God and Him talking back to us like it was in the garden. We have to take into consideration context and cultural norms and thousands of years. It's challenging. But it's not too hard and we can do it. And God said that in Deuteronomy 30. And so we need to understand to live in God's presence today has nothing to do with God hear, us hearing voices, God speaking to us in that way. He doesn't do that anymore. We don't go out in the woods and he shakes a tree twice and that means, yep, go do that. Or it's, it's, not, it's not like that anymore. We lost that in the garden. And so we need to understand that and not be deceived and to help others in our community not be deceived as well. Something else to consider when thinking about this constant sense of God's abiding presence and feeling God near us in our lives is that throughout the Bible, being in God's presence always came with instruction for how to do so. The Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were told, if you eat the tree, if you eat the fruit of that tree, you shall surely die. And that death was a separation from God. But as long as you don't eat the fruit of that tree, guess what? You can be in my presence and enjoy all that that brings with it. And as early as their children, Cain and Abel, we see this introduction of sacrifice. And by the time the Israelites come to Sinai, and God reveals the instruction to construct the tabernacle and implements this system of sacrifice, we begin to understand this idea, this concept of the earnest, sincere importance to be reconciled to God and what that looks like in order to be in His presence. And the book of Leviticus is central to that idea. Reconciliation for our sin. And this picture of the tabernacle, this picture of sacrifice obviously was a foreshadowing of God's redemptive plan for His people ultimately that culminated in the cross of Jesus. And the cross of Jesus was grounded in this Leviticus picture. You know, when we think of the word sacrifice in the English language, we think of us giving up something so that someone else could have. It's a self-deprivation idea. But it may be helpful to consider that the word most often used for sacrifice in the Hebrew was korban. And korban meant draw close or to come near. And so this whole idea, this whole picture of sacrifice in the Hebrew and to the ancient Israelites had everything to do with sacrificing to God in order to be clean and in order to be able to draw near and be close to God in His presence. Why? Because God said in Leviticus 11.45, You shall be holy, for I am holy. We cannot live in the presence of the holy God if we 
are unclean, if we are not holy. And so, the question becomes, how do you do that? How do you become holy? I want to live in God's presence, but what, what does that look like? How do I ever know that I'm holy enough to be with God and Him be with me in my life? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul said, since we have these promises, what promises? Well, he just cited at the end of chapter 6, citing numerous Old Testament scripture, beginning with Leviticus 26, Paul said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And since we have these promises amongst many others, beloved, Paul said, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And I actually like the King James Version a little better on that. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so we have to be holy if we're going to live in the presence of God. How do we do this? The truth of the matter is that we're never going to perfect holiness in our lives until we come to know and to fear the God Himself who is the Holy One. God is the foundation of our lives and to understand Him, it's only then that we can come to have a right relationship with Him and to sense this abiding presence in our lives, and that comes from knowing Him. And so in some way, living with a sense, a constant sense of God's abiding presence is living with a constant sense of our own inadequacy before the Holy God. And John as was read to us in the scripture reading by Nathan, John shed some great light and insight into this picture of what it means to live in the presence of God. I encourage you to turn there, 1 John. Begin in verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. And so we see that walking in the light requires an activeness on our part. We are to engage the Lord with our hearts, to devote our lives to the Lord and to His cause, and to align our wills to God's will. 
and confess our sins. And that takes humility. And that takes constant confessing of our sins because we are not holy. And we also see an activeness on the part of God that the blood of Jesus continually, present tense, is continually cleansing us and that God is working to sanctify us throughout our walk with Him throughout all the days of our lives. And that's a promise. And John goes on in 1 John chapter 2 to say, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says we abide in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so living and walking with God, walking in his presence and walking with a sense of his closeness to us in, in our lives is something that is not based on a feeling. Our feelings can be wrong. Our feelings can get us in trouble. But rather, our walk with the Lord and our feeling of His closeness is based on knowing that He is here and that He's with us and that He's promised that He would be. And that God is working to change us when we engage Him, to reconcile us back to Him so that we may be perfectly holy one day, able to stand before Him and enjoy His presence now and enjoy His presence forevermore. And so you say, all right, well, we need to be holy. God's not speaking to us audibly and can't see anything. Well, what does this look like? Just when and where am I supposed to experience this presence of God in my life. How, how does that happen? What's that all about? I would encourage you to consider David, Psalm 139. David, a man who, of all people, had so much confidence and so much assurance of God's presence in his life. And we get a glimpse into what David thought about this principle of God living with him and being with him. We see in the first few verses of Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. And that idea of hem me in is rooted in the word that would mean encircle. It was a military term to mean that you are surrounded and there is no escape. 
and you lay your hand upon me. If you think about that military picture, it'd be like John Mayberry. If he lays his hands on you, you will not get loose. I can assure you. There is no escape. And David reaches the conclusion, such knowledge is too wonderful. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? I don't believe he's saying there that he wants to flee from his presence. But he's acknowledging that God is ever present. Adam and Eve thought that they could run and hide in the bushes. That didn't work. And when we sin today, we are sinning to the face and in the face of God. Because He is always here. And we can't go on sinning thinking that we're going to slip through the cracks or run and hide in the bushes with Adam and Eve. Because that's not going to cut much ice with the Lord. All through this psalm, David talks about all of the wonder-working omniscience, omnipotence of God. That God is always with him. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. How personal. How close. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David is saying, when, when I was a substance, as some renderings have it, when I was a substance, you were there. When does life begin? David said when he was a substance, God was forming him. And yet people today take that knitting work of the Lord and just throw it away. And it's shameful. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I'd count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. And he says that because when he went to sleep, he was thinking about it, meditating on it, thinking about his relationship with God. He was soaked in this understanding that God was always with him. And the first thought on his mind, he woke up, I awake, you're still with me. What about us today? Is that our first thought when we wake up? And the end of this psalm is a great invitation. And the end of the psalm ends the way it began. David began by saying, You have searched me and known me. Past tense. And he says here, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Present, future tense. Walk with me, Lord. Be with me. Try me and know my thoughts. And I'm going to try to know you. And I do know you. And I want you to know me. And so this relationship is what it means to live in the presence of God. And in verse 24, David said, See if there be any grievous way in me. And the point there being, if there is any rebellion in me, Anything that you find in me, maybe that I don't know about, that is contrary to your will being accomplished through me, then get rid of it. 
Purge it from my life. I don't want it there because I want to be with you. And lead me in the way everlasting. I hope that these thoughts have been encouraging to you this morning. I hope that this has helped to better define what it means to live our lives daily with a sense of God's abiding presence and to know that God is with us in whatever storms of life or whatever joyous moments of life may occur. If you're here this morning and you do experience this presence of God in your life, I would encourage you to keep going. Don't stop. And to keep walking by faith and walking in the light as He is in the light. And if you're here this morning and you don't know a thing about what it means to live your life with a sense of God's abiding presence, I wish that you would consider what you're missing out on. And I wish that you would hope to make a change. And you can. And it can start today. If there's any way we can help you, would you please let someone know while together we stand and sing.